This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. As liberalism crashes, where should we look for solutions? From one perspective, it may appear that liberalism has never been stronger. The woke world can indeed be described as a liberalism on steroids. Ultra-liberals rule American schools, news media, entertainment, and almost every other cultural institution. Their influence appears to be as solid as the Rock of Gibraltar. However, just as Gibraltar is riddled with small caves, leftist domination looks far stronger than it is. In fact, the ultra-liberals seem to save their most vengeful attacks for the liberals who aren't sufficiently radical. Indeed, there is good reason to believe that the whole liberal order, built up over the centuries, is collapsing. Mr. John Horvath speculates on what may come next in his essay, As Liberalism Crashes, Where Should We Look for Solutions? Modernity presents liberalism as the beginning of history. Before liberalism, liberals claim, there was nothing but ignorance, darkness, and the gnashing of teeth. Liberalism is credited with all progress and security in the modern world. Its reign suddenly appeared like the creation of the world. Thus, as liberalism crashes and crumbles, most liberals automatically exclude that which came before it as a possible solution. Their plans for a post-liberal world are built upon the postmodern fantasies it engendered. Liberalism has also generated its own opposition, those who subscribe to the illiberalism of autocracy. The two sides are based on similar premises and are now locked in the battle for a dark future. Thus, liberals present a simplified vision of history that limits solutions to the world's problems to the narrow terms of a false dilemma. In the effort to look beyond liberalism, most dare not look to what preceded it, lest it might involve longings for a lost world of myth and sacrality. Of course, something remarkable existed before liberalism. It was medieval Christendom. This Christian civilization transformed the West into a model of charity and order. In his encyclical, Immortale Dei, Leo XIII described this pre-liberal society as, quote, a time when the philosophy of the gospel governed the states. In that epoch, the influence of Christian wisdom and its divine virtue permeated the laws, institutions, and customs of the peoples, all categories, and all relations of civil society, unquote. Far from being a system that opposed progress, Christian civilization advanced in every field. Christendom was the first civilization to give rise to hospitals and universities. It is responsible for representative government and the rule of law. The arts and music flourished under its influence. For the first time in history, slavery in the West was abolished. It was, unfortunately, reintroduced during the neo-pagan Renaissance and Enlightenment. Inside this society, the institutions of the family, community, and the church helped establish balance, stability, and virtue so that true progress might happen. Great men and saints pull society upward by their examples. Quote, So organized, Leo XIII continues, 
civil society gave fruits superior to all expectations. Unquote. All this advancement is part of the historical record for those who want to see it. Honest historians are now rediscovering the amazing accomplishments of this era with many books and articles. Christendom was not perfect, but it acknowledged and worked within the limits of fallen human nature. It was firmly based on reality, not fantasy. Thus, it flourished by God's grace and provided for the material and spiritual needs of those living under its influence. If liberalism progressed, it was because Christian civilization provided the moral foundation for this prosperity. If Christian civilization declined, it was because modern errors like liberalism conspired to destroy it. When liberalism arose from the Enlightenment and the horrors of the French Revolution, it gave rise to a century of turmoil, mass industrialization, and materialism. Liberal political movements persecuted the church, curtailing her freedom and confiscating her property. Its governments absorbed the charitable functions of the church into their cold bureaucracies. They did everything possible to limit her outreach. Liberalism secularized and desacralized society by establishing the fiction of living in a world without God. It created a practical, amoral system that simultaneously undermined and lived off the order and fruits of Christian civilization. Modernity paid a heavy fine for maintaining this fiction. The godless system gave rise to terrible wars and unnatural ideologies. It also produced the idols of hyper-individualism and narcissist lifestyles. Today, Liberalism crumbles because it has prodigally wasted the entire moral capital it inherited. It is bankrupt. Its internal contradictions are destroying all remaining structures of order. Thus, it does no good to look beyond liberalism when seeking solutions to the resulting crisis. It will only produce extreme versions of itself. It is far better to look before liberalism and thus return to the roots and wellspring of Christian civilization. Liberals automatically discard such a plan because they loathe its Christian premises. They think everyone uses the same flawed premises they follow. Liberals who impose their ideology on others think Christians must do the same. However, Christian civilization is born from a different set of premises. It works with human nature, not against it. Thus, the system relies on organic solutions which naturally and spontaneously develop inside a social order oriented toward the common good. Customs, good habits, and diverse associations allow individuals to pursue the perfection of their essentially social nature. This practice of subsidiarity provides an incredible amount of freedom as social units seek aid for their needs and help others in their shortcomings. Thus, for example, 
the family attains the plentitude of its action and influence as the fundamental unit of society. Professional, social, and other intermediary groups between the individual and the state freely exercise their activities according to their own forms and rights. Everything has that human touch that favors charity and harmony and is so foreign to today's radical individualism. In this society, people depend on God's loving providence to satisfy their needs. Everything has a meaning inside a universe that reflects God's glory. Such a vision satisfies the natural human desires for those things that are sublime, good, true, and beautiful. A Christian civilization is not a theocracy, as liberals claim. Rather, the temporal and spiritual spheres each take care of their respective activities and areas of responsibility. However, to serve society better, the two powers establish bridges of cooperation, not iron curtains of separation. Society works together with the action of God's grace. The faithful participate through grace in the divine life of Christ and thus can achieve works that are above human nature. In this society, the church has a hallowing influence on the structures of society and the economy. When it practices virtue, such a society can flourish economically and politically and help guide souls to salvation and sanctification. This orientation promotes incredible unity, giving purpose and meaning to life beyond liberalism's adoration of self-interest. As liberalism crumbles and crashes, those refreshing and exciting ideas should at least have a place at the table to discuss the nation's future. However, the automatic exclusion of Christian civilization reveals a stubborn refusal to admit egregious errors and embrace the truth. Many liberals prefer to insist that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man rather than admit the marvelous reality of human nature as created by God. They would rather pursue a delirious fantasy than live in ordered liberty following the natural moral law. Thus, the only way out for those who still believe in truth, tradition, and God is to abandon the liberal narrative and its flawed premises. The path ahead must draw inspiration from what came before not what follows liberalism and its shipwreck-causing siren song. The faithful must seek solutions outside the liberal box and return to that Christian truth and beauty, ever ancient, ever new, that calls out to souls. One important sign of liberalism's coming collapse comes from those who have ceased to care about much of anything. They're all around us. They populate movies and popular music, spreading their nihilistic poison to the young. These disillusioned and cynical people see nothing in their lives that is worth working for, or even living for. Mr. Norman Fulkerson describes this growing condition in his essay, The Whatever Mentality. In 1994, the English rock band Oasis 
released a song titled Whatever. Its leftist cultural message is summarized in one of the closing lines of a stanza, quote, Whatever I like, if it's wrong or right, it's all right, unquote. I never heard of this song, but discovered it while researching the meaning of a bathroom sign I saw in a craft beer shop in Youngsville, North Carolina. The bathroom sign had an image on the left that seemed to be a mermaid, while the one on the right looked like a centaur from Greek mythology that is both man and horse. He has a bird perched on his arm. It implies that those entering can be anything they imagine themselves to be. Male, female, animal, or a mixture of all. Every option has a place in a gender-confused world. What drew my attention most was the word WHATEVER, in all caps, written above the images, followed by a directive to just wash your hands. Whatever can be used as an adjective to mean at all or of any kind, as in, they received no help whatever. However, the informal use of the word as an exclamation expresses a reluctance to discuss something, or more importantly, an indifference to the matter. This use is a sarcastic way that indifferent people deal with the politically charged bathroom wars issue. Lamentably, most people will laugh it off by exclaiming, Whatever, just wash your hands and forget about it. The gender-confused are appeased, and the owner is satisfied that all get a good laugh. This indifference to serious matters is the most problematic part of the controversy, since it favors the wrong position. When looking at the myriad grave cultural issues that beset our world, this whatever mentality is very dangerous. If the sane among us were to speak out more courageously, the world would not be in its current mess. Those infected with the whatever mentality lull themselves to sleep with their centrist position. The example of the student revolts of the 60s comes to mind. The students' radicalism was facilitated by messages similar to the whatever sign mentioned above. A powerful statement of the protesters at the 1968 Sorbonne Revolution in Paris, France said, quote, It is forbidden to forbid. Unquote. Their American counterparts proclaimed, If it feels good, do it. The centrists of the time tried to downplay the severity of the student revolt as merely the unruly impulses of rebellious youth that would eventually fade away. They did not. Meanwhile, these centrists lulled themselves to sleep with their comfortable position of neutrality camouflaged so well by those pithy statements similar to the bathroom sign. The centrists of 1968, and now 2022, refused to accept what Professor Plinio Correa de Oliveira made clear in his masterpiece, Revolution and Counter-Revolution. He affirms that, quote, 
There are no neutrals in the face of revolution and counter-revolution, unquote. Although there may be, quote, non-combatants whose will are in one of the two camps, whether consciously or not, unquote. He proved his point in a very psychological way. Whenever a counter-revolutionary is debating a topic, like the bathroom wars issue with a revolutionary, the person who declares neutrality will always side with the revolutionary position. Thus, they are not neutral at all. They may even be infected with the whatever mentality. Indeed, Being whatever in a world dominated by the revolution is permissible if the individual is not a counter-revolutionary. Our Lord Jesus Christ would agree since he declared, He who is not with me is against me. He was even more categorical when he stated, Through the mouth of St. John, we must be hot or cold, otherwise, quote, I will begin to vomit thee out of my mouth, unquote. In the face of revolutionary ideals and trends, we must take a firm stance based on principles. A counter-revolutionary should never take a flippant attitude in the face of an objective disorder. More importantly, we should never do anything to provoke a laugh about a grave matter. One of the attributes of modern liberals and ultra-liberals is their ignorance of basic economics. Like the toy in the children's book, The Velveteen Rabbit, they convince themselves that wishing that something was real actually makes it so. This is especially true of environmentalists who cry out for renewables, like wind and solar power. Yes, there are ways of harnessing such energy. However, they cannot provide enough power for society to depend upon them. At the same time, The liberals disregard reliable sources of energy such as coal, natural gas, petroleum, and nuclear power. These, they argue, must be eliminated, even though energy suppliers have largely eliminated the pollution that they once created. One such dreamer is the current president. Having little or no experience in any of these fields, he seeks to regulate them. Mr. John Horvat explores this situation as he asks, Why is Biden's SEC waging war on American energy? Russia's war on Ukraine is changing the geopolitics of the world. The delicate situation calls for agility and improvising to adjust to a crisis that could quickly become ugly. The Biden administration and Western Europe have imposed sanctions as part of a strategy to end the war. However, The administration is also applying sanctions upon the American energy industry to serve the ideology of the climate control left. America cannot win a war if it turns against itself. There is no other way to explain it. President Biden is waging war on American energy, and his administration is doing everything possible to discourage production. It cannot know what it is doing. A recent decision by the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, is a case in point. The Democrat-dominated body voted to advance a proposed rule that will wreak havoc on energy producers, 
right when they need to increase production to offset sanctioned Russian supplies. The new SEC rule will expand the requirement that all public companies disclose the climate risks involved in their operations. This already egregious duty has now been made completely unreasonable. Present law covers so-called material events and risks defined as information deemed important by a reasonable person. Such disclosures are usually very limited to those things impacting the environment that investors would need to know. However, SEC Chairman Gary Gensler and his fellow Democrats voted three to one to redefine materiality to mean anything they want it to mean. The 510-page proposal broadens the requirements to require public discourse of the risks of anything associated with carbon and climate change politics at any stage in production. There has never been a proposal like this one in SEC history. The rule unloads a mountain of bureaucracy on already struggling firms. It contradicts securities law and sound regulatory practice. Such disclosures favor progressive investors seeking to strangle oil and energy investment by depriving it of credit and capital. The new data provide ammunition to woke investors who can cancel offending companies. The SEC exists to ensure investors have relevant information about publicly traded firms. That's it. It was never intended to be a policy-making agency imposing an ideology. Its purpose is to assure fairness in the securities market, protecting investors against fraud. The SEC was founded after the stock market crash in 1929. It sought to restore investor confidence by stopping the deceptive sales practices and manipulations that caused the crash in the first place. The commission established rules, supervision, and forbade unfair use of non-public information about stocks when trading them. The new rule uses this full disclosure requirement to demand information about greenhouse gas emissions and other climate ideology data. The new requirements are massive. They have no place in a volatile world where everything is upside down. The fanatical zeal of the Green New Dealers once more disregards reality in favor of de-development and eco-fantasy. The new reporting must include all phases of production. This begins with the greenhouse gas emissions caused directly by the operations of company plants and their energy consumption. Companies will also have to report on Scope 3 emissions, which means data related to supply chains and customer use. All manufacturers will feel the fire of the regulatory state. However, these draconian requirements especially target oil companies, which will be required to estimate emissions from rigs, tankers, and pipelines transporting oil and gas. 
On the product side, emissions from combustion engine consumption, plastics, and other oil-based materials must be monitored. The worst thing about Scope 3 emissions is that the SEC admits that there is no clear definition for them. The Commission has, quote, not proposed a bright-line quantitative threshold for the materiality determination, unquote. Everything depends on the facts and circumstances surrounding each case. Thus, the potential for arbitrariness in rule enforcement is enormous. All it takes is an overzealous regulator to determine that an eco-factor is relevant to an investor's supposed need to know. The new reporting is meant to intimidate. The Commission has the authority to reveal only those things that are, quote, necessary or appropriate in the public interest or for the protection of investors, unquote. The SEC decision provided no proof that the new green ideology data fit the criteria for necessary public disclosure. The SEC claims that the new rule, quote, will promote efficiency, competition, and capital formation, unquote. However, it would add yet another layer of government regulation to the already excessive burden carried by companies. The threat of such exhaustive disclosures will discourage companies from going public and encourage stock buybacks to return to the private sector. In addition, it will expose private supply chain partners to disclose climate information that they usually would not have to report. All this information must be certified and audited, and companies will be liable for inaccuracies. This huge effort is made to help woke, eco-friendly investors like BlackRock and public pension funds sniff out climate offenders whose only crime is using carbon like every human being in America. The proposed rule will now be open for comments for 60 days before being finalized. Many states, such as West Virginia, have promised to sue the SEC for harassment of their energy industry. However, many rightly note that the damage has already been done. A shot has been fired over the bow of the energy sector. Even if federal courts throw the final rule out, the message has been sent. The war on energy has been declared. Investors beware. You are a target of the Democrats and their extreme green militants. The message is equivalent to sanctions on the industry for doing its job. President Biden is declaring war on American energy in a time of crisis. The administration knows this and nevertheless continues destroying the nation. This concludes, as liberalism crashes, where should we look for solutions? Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. 
Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all the previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book which spells out the motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2022 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.